Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Larry Vasquez, and you're listening to episode 34. And in this podcast, we're going to have a, one of our very own instructors and a friend of my co-host tonight, David Hubert. David, how are you, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. I appreciate you joining me on this podcast. I know you and Johnny uh, kind of go way back a little bit here, and I'm looking forward to having him on this podcast. Yeah, it's great. I know we talked about having him for a long time on this podcast, and it's great that we can finally, uh, you know, make it happen. Absolutely. I know he's kind of uh, working on a huge movie right now, Jurassic World, but he also has quite a bit of different variants in his background here. Uh, yeah, coming from Montreal, he obviously he had the, the opportunity to work in many different studios, so he, he did it all. I mean, starting with feature, um, uh, animated feature, and then in-game animation, cinematic, and then a little bit of VFX, uh, realistic animation, and cartoony animation, creatures, humanoid. <laughs> uh, honestly, he touched to every aspect of CG animation, so it's gonna it's gonna be a great discussion. With him. That's awesome. And then he also teaches here on our creature courses, so. I think that's going to be a really cool discussion to be able to talk with him about. So, Yeah, Johnny's teaching uh, Creature Workshop 1, uh, Quadruped Fundamentals. Um, and from what I heard from his student, he's doing an amazing job at it. Sweet. Very cool. Well, tell you what, let's bring him on. Let's do this. All right, Johnny. First of all, thank you so much for joining us. Again, we know you guys have schedules and family and everything along that lines. And so we do, first of all, really just appreciate you joining us on this podcast. Oh, of course. It's uh, it's my absolute pleasure. So you're working on a huge movie here, Jurassic Park up there in uh, Vancouver, is it? Yes, uh, Vancouver, uh, ILM. Now, where do you originally come from? So I'm actually from Montreal. You know, for the listeners, I might have a, like, a bit of a like, weird accent. That's because my parents are Italian. Uh-huh. And of course, you know, living in Montreal, we've got to speak French, and I also speak English. So, <laughs> um, So yeah, I was born and raised in Montreal. Awesome. Okay. All right. So native at least to Canada, but now on the, the west coast of Canada for this yeah, project. Yeah, west coast. Yeah, beautiful part of, of, of the country. This is not your first time here at ILM, correct? No. So the last time I was at ILM was in San Francisco. So I was there in 2008. So yeah, that was a different experience. Yeah. All right. And we'll get into some of that. But let's jump back to the beginning then. How did you get into animation then from where you were at in Canada? So, yeah, I mean, I always kind of, I mean, I'm not the best drawer. Um, I'm not the, like the best artist, but, you know, growing up, I, I kind of, um, was attracted to the artistic aspect of, you know, just drawing in general and, and all that. I was never like amazing. I, I took classes for, uh, for painting and I did some oil painting and, and pastels and, and whatnot. But, uh, as I grew older, there was a couple of teachers that kind of mentioned to my parents, look, your, your son has a little bit of a knack for, you know, art class and art in general. So I kind of went in that way and, you know, growing up being influenced by, by Disney and some, like I, I always wanted to be part of, uh, an artistic environment. So, I mean, being young, I, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I had to do to get myself involved. Then when I was in high school, I obviously had to make a decision going forward. So I, I took a class for industrial, uh, what was it called? It was some sort of like artistic industrial class. So it would be basically almost like an architectural class where you can design, you know, products and all that. But you know, obviously you have to take your French classes and your humanities and all that. And it just, it was, it was really boring me. <laughs> and at, the, at the end of the day, I really just wanted to see my, my characters come to life. You know what I mean? That's uh-huh. what it really came down to. And then, 
you know, one of my friends had said, look, there's a local college teaching 3D animation. And that's when it kind of clicked. Like I, I remember, you know, the place and time, uh, when I, when that kind of clicked in my mind because it kind of brought me all the way back to the first time I actually watched Jurassic Park. Mm. Um, I was like, you know what? I, I think that's, that's what I need to do. That's very cool. So, so yeah, I took a year. It was a, it was a one year intensive program for, you know, 3D animation. I mean, they called it animation, but it was really just a, a generalist type of class. The animation really came at the end when, you know, you had to texture and model all your own characters. So there was <laughs> very little time to actually animate. Uh, I mean, David went to the same school, so he can attest to that. So really, I had to really learn most of my stuff on the job, you know? Now, what software did you, get, you jump into first? So the first class I actually took was we were the first beta class for um, XSI. Ah. So the class right before me was uh, Softimage 3.9, and we were the beta class for uh, for Softimage XSI. May it rest in peace, right? Yeah. <laughs> I, love, I really love that F curve editor. <laughs> yeah, we, we, I was actually part of the class just before, and we were. Very jealous <laughs> that you guys were allowed to to touch this thing that was called Sumatra, I think, back in the days, and it all sounded like you know a, a little revolution in in the making there. <laughs> yeah, it had a great layout and everything. And I, seriously, I think back and I wish you know I, I love the Maya F curve editor, but the XSI had something special about it. Maybe because it was you know it was the first thing that I actually touched, so you know I kind of got stubborn over the years and said, oh, that's the best one, and that's it. But mm-hmm. I don't know. There was just something special about that program. So, David, you were about a class or so before? Uh, yeah, I think I was one year before. Yeah, one year. One year before yeah. me. Okay. And there, there, there was actually the uh, in Montreal. You know, it's uh, there's you have the, uh, the uh, French and English. So I was in the French class, and I believe that Johnny was in the class right after in the English one. But it was just you know, it was at a time that, like Johnny said, it, it was called the uh, animation class, but it was really about learning the software and having instructor that would just give you a few guidelines but you could really see those that would just follow a tutorials and then that's it and those that have a little bit more creativity hey i could mix this and do that and do some effects there i mean if we would look at it now it would all be terrible but you could, yeah. that, that was that was a great time just to say hey we're among the first generation of kids playing with those professional tools so let's go crazy and a very very good memory of that time that's cool oh yeah we were i mean i remember learning combustion that's like uh, a compositing software Mm -hmm. and it was unbelievable i mean you know you look back and you say man i was still able to do some of the magic that i wanted to do before i took that class you know you kind of think you know i want to be able to i don't know just put two characters in a scene and either talk to each other or uh, i don't know add a character in a live plate you know because that was one of our assignments and you know, as crappy as it might sound looking back now, at the time, it was, you know, like, man, this is actually pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It was yeah. a good time. The, and this is a time that, first of all, it was on uh, silicon graphic computers, those crazy uh, expensive computers that were basically slower than any cheap smartphones nowadays. <laughs> yeah. And oh, you had to start your renders on 25 machine on the render file. It was super cumbersome. And you had to put your reel on a cassette and then yeah. put it on the tape and make some physical copies of that. I mean, this is seven years before YouTube even existed. So in yep. terms of reference, you had to bring, uh, you know, your own camcorder and record it and put it on a VHS. Everything was so complicated that at the moment that you had something that was 
at least decent on the screen that you could show your, your friend or like, okay, I just did magic there. I'm out. I'm going to go sleep. That's it. I'm done. So it's, uh, yeah, that was, yeah. It, 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 it's a very good place to, to, to start when you have to, to struggle. Absolutely. And I, and I appreciate it that much more today. That's why I love teaching at iAnimate. Um, just for that reason, just because we get to just teach animation. And I love that part of it. I always tell my students all the time, I was like, you know, before it was a much tougher. Like, you guys get your own rigs, yeah. which are awesome rigs, <laughs> great models, and, you know, the teachers that you get actually work in the industry. I remember when we were learning a walk cycle, I learned making a walk cycle with curves. Mm. So we had to draw a path dictating where your feet would go. It was ridiculous. Looking back, I couldn't even believe it. You know? so. Yeah, and it was a, a pad that was looking a little bit like a squash peanut on the side, and you kind of have the, the shape in your mind. And if you had a good shape, you would, you know, contact your eye, uh, your IK feet uh, on that. Um, I remember that I, I used to animate all everything with those crazy curves. So you, you had yeah. a path that was it just looked like randomness uh, uh, on the screen. And when you were trying to fix something at frame 600, well, it was obviously influencing what was happening at frame 200 because <laughs> this entire path was, you know, uh, changing as you. So it, anyway, it's uh, it, it was still great, but. Uh, Again, just what Johnny mentioned that now we provide the, the rigs, we provide the knowledge from people in the industry and, and all that. It's like, wow. And yeah. th this is probably why me and Johnny, it took us a few years to become good at <laughs> what we're doing. And, and nowadays you see some of those kids again. Um, Kevin and, uh, and Guyan last week has been hired at, at Disney, you know, yeah. getting out of iAnimate. And you're like, wow, those guys nowadays just, you know, explode when they get out of there. It took me five years <laughs> to, to be decent. No, no, I was awesome from the beginning. I was. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny was the, the, the chosen one from the yeah. deck. Anyway, I was the animation. <laughs> so this was something you did out of high school, right out of high school? Uh, so I had, so in order to go to that school, you had to have at least one year um, of college or just one year removed from high school. I, I can't remember, but so I did one year at Dawson where I got all my credits and, uh, you know, I, I actually filled out my demo reel, uh, my uh, my portfolio, because back then we didn't have like a demo reel. I, I had like a leather cased portfolio with like, things and drawings and whatnot. So it actually did help me. It wasn't a complete waste of time. So that's what actually got me into that school because to get into that school, they needed to see that you are artistically inclined. You know what right. I mean? So from that, how, I mean, you jumped from that program to what? So I was, I was actually pretty lucky. Like as I think it was three months or six months after I, I graduated, uh, I got hired uh, at a local company called Cinegroup and I, you know, looking back, um, I don't want to say that my career wouldn't have been the same, but the fact that I learned from the best Montreal had to offer was really something. Like looking back at the animators that actually animated on that project, it was, it was the, the movie was called Pinocchio 3000. Okay, so it was like some, you know, it was a futuristic version of you know the Pinocchio story. Uh, Dave was there. Uh, you know, you had Anthony Plant. You had people that now work at Weta. Blue Sky, I mean... You had uh, Matthew DiMuro as well, that yeah, is uh, also a, a creature instructor here. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, lo looking now, it's like, man, a lot of us really... We were all very, very young. We thought we were working on an awesome movie. But, um, 
yeah, I mean, it was just, it was an unbelievable project. I really learned a lot on that project. First of all, I think that's where I learned uh, timing the most. Just because I think with Lip Sync, I felt that Lip Sync helped me ground my animation with, uh, you know, head turns or, or acting choices. I found that without it, I wasn't really grounded. You know, the timing from from having audio in my clips really helped ground my acting. I mean, that's what our first, that's what my first the job was, was it was really like acting in a, in a feature film. I mean, at the time we thought that, you know, it was like one of the, one of the best movies coming out. You know, our director thought that our movie was going to be better than any Pixar movie. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, you know, the project that we had, it was great. Like I learned so much, you know, you kind of learn, you know, from some of the best people in the industry, especially in, in, in Montreal. So, uh, yeah, I kind of worked my way up slowly from from that film. I was there for a year, and uh, I, that's probably other than my first time at ILM was probably the time I learned the most. That's cool. So now, David, you were there as well, and then you mentioned Matthew Demuro. Yeah, Matthew Demuro was there as well, and obviously, I have to mention that Rick Arroyo was there as well. Oh, how funny! <laughs> and, that's awesome. Yeah. And we actually have been on the same team on that project for a little while, and it's after that that I, after that project, I move on a other feature production in uh, uh, in Europe, and Rick moved to Ubisoft. Uh-huh. So this is where kind of the split happened of me yeah, going more in admitted there, feature, yeah. and Rick and a bunch of other guys going a little bit more in in gaming afterwards. How funny. Okay. Yeah, but it was, again, like Johnny said, uh, we had a lot of energy, a lot of enthusiasm, um, and we're, yes, we were on a mission to, to, to create a, um, an animated feature to, that would be on par with what Pixar was releasing, uh, back then. So it was, it, we were super ambitious, but at the same time, again, it was just an amazing learning experience being surrounded might have been maybe some of the, uh, the, the, the best animators. But again, we were like seniors, but with two or three years experience. So, yeah. so there was this weird mix that, oh, okay, we're, you know, we're a good group here, but no one there had more than four years experience, I would <laughs> yeah, say the awesome. maximum. It so was it awesome. was great memories, great learning experience for everyone. Involved. Oh, that's cool. Absolutely. Okay, so from there, where did you jump to then, Johnny? So actually, the second company I worked for was a place called uh, Behavior. Actually, at the time, it was called Artificial Mind and Movement, but we were doing like some licensed games. Like I worked on like Scooby-Doo and Teen Titans, which was super fun. Like it was really, really fun. How so? So the animation was really out there. You know, if you ever watched Teen Titans episode, mm-hmm. you know, the animation is really stylized. It's very two frames here, one frame there. It was super, super stylized. And I mean, I remember that's the first company I actually worked for in Maya. And we had to rig our own characters. Wow. So what yeah. did you learn rigging then? Uh, I, actually, I mean, lucky enough, we went to school <laughs> that actually taught us how to rig. Uh. So because it was all in-game stuff, the rigs were not more than, you know, 15 bones. You know, you had a limit of how many bones, you, you, you know, we're talking about Xbox, you know, the first one. Right. And no facial or some facial rigging? No facial. There was no facial. Okay. So, yeah, it was really cool. I got to learn, you know, how games are actually made. I was never really a gamer. I mean, I love playing Mario Kart like everybody else, but, you know, not much more than that. Um, so yeah, we did some, like, we did a game called Scaler, um, which was, you know, their own type of game that they were 
coming out with. It was really, really stylized and fun also. It was about this like lizard kind of going to save a princess or something. Um, so that was fun as well. I actually learned quite a bit about animating more stylized and a little bit more controlled. It's not like in film where, you know, kind of go back and forth with the director, whereas in games, you have to be creative in different ways. And by that, I mean, like, you know, a programmer would come to you and say, look, your anticipation, you have too many frames of anticipation, or, you know, he needs to hit in two frames. So, you know, you had to, you had to be a little bit more creative in just different types of ways, really. But it was fun. It was really, really fun. So has most of your game experience been in cinematics or in-game as well? So the only place I actually did in-game animation was uh, at Behavior. That's when I was doing Teen Titans okay. and Scooby-Doo. Because right. then after that, I went to Ubisoft, where I was part of their cinematics teams. Mostly like uh, trailers and um, you know marketing things to promote some of the games and stuff like that. So, you know, we, we were, I was part of the team that did the first Assassin's Creed trailer. Mm. You know, at the time you, you think that you're just creating just another, trying to sell the Assassin's product. Right. I mean, looking back, I mean, one of the shots that I have is, is pretty iconic. It's, you know, when Altair kind of jumps over the dude and has his blade kind of stick out from his forearm and stabs, uh, I think it was Robert, you know, right in, right in the throat. Mm-hmm. So looking back, it's a pretty iconic pose and and all that. But at the time, you just think that you're doing something cool, not much more than that. Yeah, yeah. That was fun because I got to be almost back into a feature-type environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're doing a lot of that stuff, a lot of like almost like what Digic does now for, for Ubisoft. After Ubisoft, I got a chance to work with David again at uh, Digital Dimension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got to work with him again and some other people that – you know, along the way, we kind of came back to Montreal. So Matt Dimora was there and Sebastien Bruno was there and uh, Marco Folia. So there were so many guys that, you know, again, looking back, we had a pretty, like a pretty good team. The project, you know, it was okay. <laughs> I wasn't really inspired. I mean, my lead kind of told me that I was doing a little bit too much interneting. Let's just say. Oh, uh, that was an epic moment. I yeah, remember. yeah. That was the yes. moment that Johnny probably got the more embarrassed. Absolutely. That was my, probably my most embarrassing. So what happened? All right. So I was there for a month. Okay? <laughs> I was there for a month. And I kind of saw that everybody was kind of lackadaisical. It was a bit, you know, we're all friends again. So I was like, you know what? I'm not really going to take this job really serious. But some, some guys did. And looking back, it wasn't really professional of me. I mean, there's... Lesson learned, it's, right? It, yeah. My, well... Maybe they will, <laughs> they will catch um, uh, yeah, go, go ahead. So, um, so I was doing a lot of interneting. I think it's because I was streaming a lot of uh, videos and audio and stuff like that, and I was, you know, part of like certain forums. Uh, so at the end of the month, you know, our lead kind of sits down in the middle of it. She's like, "Look, I need to talk to you guys." So I think, you know, we're kind of behind on schedule on the animation. And the animation, some of it looked really good. And some of it, uh, you know, some of my shots kind of sucked. So she kind of said, look, I have a list of, like, the people that use the most bandwidth. And I was second on that list. <laughs> and I was only there for a month. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Did she like, call you out in front of the group? Oh, yeah, she called me out in front of, in front of everyone. So, oh, hey, here's everyone. the top three. <laughs> so it was, oh, it was Marco Folia. She goes... 
Johnny Spinelli, and she kind of looks at me. And, you know, after she kind of told me, she's like, look, you know, we kind of got you, we kind of brought you in here so that you can, you know, help us out and take some of the workload off some of the other guys. And here you are, you know, here, I don't know what you're doing, you know. So, yeah, not my prouder moment. I, the second most embarrassing time was the last company I worked for at Idols with David was I, I mean, I still think I didn't do anything wrong, but obviously computers don't do things themselves. I, I, I don't know if anybody knows how Perforce works. It's kind of a, a combined network where everybody puts their work up, right? So only one person at a time can kind of check out a file and has to check it back in. So on Tomb Raider, I kind of checked out the whole game. So only I had access to upload or change or edit any of the files. And we're talking over 200,000 files. So, I mean, I, I mean, communicator and emails and phone calls, everything lit up like a Christmas tree. Yeah. All of a sudden, there was three studios calling and wondering. And it was, oh my, that was another was epic. Not my most, you know, I'm not the most technical guy. Even some of my students will tell you that I'm not the most technical guy. Right. So, yeah, those are my two embarrassing moments. But anyways. Well, we appreciate so, you sharing them with us. Oh, yeah. I'm not, you know, live and learn, like you said. Um, from there, I went back to Ubisoft, and I got to work on some other cinematics. Then I left again to go to ILM. So really, in all, I've been at Ubisoft three times. Mm. You know, it's just almost like a... It was like going into, like, you know, old slippers. You know what I mean? I knew the people, and I was comfortable, and I knew what my salary was going to be, and I knew what was expected of me. So I, I liked Ubisoft. I'll, you know, it was... You know, they were very, very good to me. That's cool. Um, That's right there yeah. in your hometown area, right? Yeah, yeah. It wasn't far. Not, I mean, it took me about, you know, 40 minutes to get there by uh, public transportation. But, yeah, I, I, I loved Ubisoft. I loved everything about it. Um, so, yeah, after my second time, I actually got a chance to work on Transformers 2. Mm. Um, so I got pretty lucky because it's funny because I sent my demo reel like six wired and I didn't even get a response saying, oh, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. So it was just a friend that kind of said, look, you know, they're hiring some junior guys that just need to help us finish the, the movie. So I was like, yeah, sure, you know. Um, so my myself and my wife, at the time she was my girlfriend, we moved to Toronto because she was in school in Toronto. And I was still looking for a job in Toronto. And I was like, you know what? You'll be here, you know, finishing up your school because she was in university. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take this chance just to go for four months and get to play with the big boys, you know, mm -hmm. so to say. So I got there, and I mean, if anybody's ever been to ILM in San Francisco, it's it's a museum. Like it really is. Like you know, growing up on Jurassic Park, and you know, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and I mean, I was too young for Star Wars, but you know, obviously, you appreciate what it's done for the industry. Okay, right. I'm not a huge Star Wars fan myself. But just walking in the corridors and seeing like a stormtrooper, <laughs> seeing, uh, you know, a Jurassic, you know, a, a T-Rex maquette. It's just, I really couldn't believe where I was, you know, um, what That's an cool. unbelievable experience. I mean, I've only worked for one big company. It's only been ILM. So I've never been at like, you know, DreamWorks. I've never been at Pixar or Rhythm and Hughes or any of those places. But I don't know. There's just something about it that it's so prestigious. There's just, it's so historical that, mm -hmm. uh, bigger than you, you know, you walk around and you can't help but be inspired every single day. 
it, it must be super inspiring, but isn't it a little intimidating? Also, if you go on, uh, whether it's uh, uh, if it's at ILM on or project like Jurassic Park, this is something we already discussed that you know Jurassic Park for our generation has been, had a huge influence on you know uh, eye opener of wow, okay, what is this? What what is it? can I do that? Uh, to finally have the chance to to work on those, is there any extra pressure that you put on, on yourself? Yeah, it's it's. I mean, I'm the type of person that I get anxious pretty easily. Like, it's harder for me to control some of my emotions, like when it comes to stuff like that. So I feel uh, then I maybe I should. Um, but I remember, you know, our first week at, at uh, ILM in San Francisco when I got hired for Transformers. And you're in kind of a – your first week, you're, you're just doing training, right? So they, they show you how the, the pipeline works and – you know, how their tools work and all that, because only the animators work on Maya. Everything else is a proprietary software. So you have to learn how to, like, you know, export your stuff and import your stuff and reference your work and all that. But opening up uh, an Optimus Prime on your screen, like, you know, you're, just, <laughs> you're looking around you and it's like, hey, this really, it can't be. That's awesome. You know, it's, like, it's <laughs> unbelievable. So, yeah, you're just, man, I hope I really don't want to screw it up. So, you know, my first couple of shots were just digital doubles. I mean, when, my first shot was Shia LaBeouf's digital double. So, it, you know, he's just a 3D character hanging off a helicopter, right? So I was like, okay, so I guess this is what my job is going to be. There was no mocap. I had to, you know, shoot my own reference. But, like, you know, the model was super small on screen. I was like, okay, look, I, I'm here. I'm just going to take the experience for what it is and try to learn from other people. Because I, I already knew some of the animators that were there, not because I knew them, like, personally, but I knew of them. Like, you know, Charles Alnick and uh, obviously Sean Kelly. Um, so you kind of think, okay, well, these guys, you know, they're not probably not even going to say hi to me. But instead, they were, they were super welcoming. Everybody got a mentor. So, you know, Maya was my mentor. Um, she was one of the uh, animators for uh, Davy Jones. So, you know, you hear about this stuff and it's like, man, the girl who animated Davy Jones is going to be my mentor. You know what I mean? And she, they just happen to be the nicest people. They're just like any one of us, really. This is um, who? What's her name? Her name is Maya Kaiser. Okay. Yeah, she's you know she's been at ILM forever. So yeah, I thought that that's what my job was going to be, but then slowly, you know, you kind of start proving yourself, and you know, you, I think one of the things that they really valued was being able to take critique professionally. Mm. Okay. Mm. Um, obviously, the because I was only there for four months, I remember. You know, at the end, they kind of told me, look, you're a little bit too much of a, of a yes man. Okay. So they always told me, look, you always said yes to everything. You know, yes, I'll do it. You never kind of became constructive in some of your, like, wh why didn't you tell me? Well, I, I did it this way because I felt that this was the right action. I just always said, yes, I'm going to do it. Yes, I'm going to do it. So I think some of it, they kind of liked it because I was a junior. So they could have molded me however they wanted to. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, Before they let me go, I already knew I was going to be part of Rango, so I had the summer off. And that was one of my exit uh, evaluation was, look, when you come back, we want maybe a bit more from you, okay? And it, it's not to say that they wanted me to be a lead or a senior or a mentor or anything like that. They just wanted um, – they just expected a little bit more of me creatively and maybe a bit more of a voice, okay? Mm -hmm. yeah, That's interesting. Actually, yeah, it was it was awesome. You know, they, they want people to be involved in, in – in the movie as much as, uh, as anybody else. Um, and then they kind of rewarded me with a couple of shots and they were kind of happy with my work. So I got the last shot of the film. That's when Optimus Prime is on the carrier 
with Shia LaBeouf and he kind of walks behind him mm-hmm. and then he does his pose that, you know, he kind of puts his hands on his hips and looks up in the clouds and then the credits roll. So, <laughs> you know, it was, I, you know, I went from animating digital doubles and within four months I was able to do, you know, a very icon- iconic pose of Opt- Optimus Prime. Yeah, right? yeah. This is one of the things that amazed me in this industry that, you know, if you have the the talent and you're, you know, you're fun to work with and you show result and you have a good attitude, you can start from nothing and within a few months be given a lot. It's not like you get there and you know that, okay, it's going to take a few years within the same company to get the minimum of, you know, uh, recognition. In this industry, it's all about your personality and the results. So if you're yeah. able to be, you know, good to work with and produce strong and quality animation, you can go from junior to to either senior or junior that has a lot of good animation to work on very, very rapidly because exactly the same story that you just told Johnny happened exactly the same for me at, at uh, DreamWorks. And I know a lot of people that I spoke to that had exactly the same, the same story. You start at the bottom of, of the food chain and then you climb your way up and, you know, it, it's, it's great. It's super motivating uh, oh, I yeah. for the, the, the students that are getting out these days. And then over the summer, I kind of had to think about, okay, I was going to work on the first ILM feature uh, fully CG film. Mm-hmm. So I was like, because they kind of gave me the option, do you want to work on Iron Man 2 or do you want to do Rango? And I mean... Even looking back, I don't even know why I didn't say Iron Man 2. Before I left to go home after Transformers, I got to see some of the work of Rango and also got to see some of the work for Iron Man 2. So I already knew what to kind of expect. But looking at Rango, I was like, man, this this looks like a special film. Mm-hmm. And I was going to be working with some of the best animators from ILM and also get to work with Gore Verbinski, who directed um, you know, the Pirates of the Caribbean. And I knew that he was a really good director and people really like to work with him. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to come back and, and do Rango. So I worked on Rango for a year. And even then I kind of, I was one of the first animators to work on it. So other than the staff people, so, you know, Charles and, and Sean Kelly and my, everybody that has, you know, they're kind of part of the furniture at ILM. Uh, they, they were all selected to work on this film. Also added, you know, they added a couple of us, not juniors, but like, you know, intermediate kind of animators to, I guess, kind of balance out the payroll. So, yeah, I kind of started there also from the from the bottom, and I towards the middle, I started becoming a lead of characters. Like, look, they weren't iconic characters. Like, one of them is a background character. But the other character that I got to be a lead on was the cactus trees. So those are the ones that kind of walk on, you know, their roots and all that. And I kind of I had a little bit of a, uh, input of how the rig should be and how it should work and, uh, that was super fun to be part of like some of the bigger meetings and, you know, how should this, this character move and, you know, can we look at reference? And, uh, so that was super fun. And yeah. Well, what's neat is I'm looking at kind of what you've talked about here in your progression of your career. I mean, you worked on video games, you worked on uh, live action and then made this jump differently now to a full feature, you, you yeah. know? And so, and then obviously now creatures and such. So it seems like you've kind of really worked in many areas here of animation here from video games, live action features to, to creatures here. So that seemed like yeah. that's probably a, a very good choice to work on Rango now getting a, a different aspect of, of animation. Yeah. What helped with Rango also is that we had really, really good reference. Like they, they already filmed the movie 
in like a set. So, you know, a lot of the acting choices, a lot of them come from, uh, from the actors themselves and also, you know, filming your own reference. That's the, that's probably the project that I filmed myself the most. That's where I really started to learn how much reference can actually help your animation. How much of your own reference did you use? I'd probably say half, half of my own reference okay. and the other half was actually, so I never went into a shot without reference. Okay. Never. Um, they, they, you know, they didn't push it on you, mm-hmm. but they told you, look, we have all the tools that's needed to make some really good acting choices. Mm-hmm. So why not use them? You yeah, know, we yeah. had our own acting room. Um, you know, we had cameras that were set up already. So we just had to import our, our reference and, you know, there it was. So, so yeah, I, I'd have to say half of it and only because maybe the camera wasn't the greatest angle that they had already shot. Or maybe it was ADR, you know, it was just their voice and they didn't ha- actually shoot that, that particular scene. Mm. Or maybe it was a background t- character. So there was, we, we always used the reference for something. Okay. And actually, that's how I got the nickname at ILM, Pure Johnny. Why? Because there, was, because there was one particular shot that we were in dailies, okay? So I'm sitting there and they, they had seen a shot where Rango kind of looks up. He looks out over the horizon and he goes, you know, he says something really, really serious. So when they looked at it, I said, well, that's, that's a really nice animation. I said, yeah, it's pure Johnny. <laughs> <laughs> and now, you know, <laughs> I, I meant Johnny Depp because Johnny Depp is the one who actually does the voice and acting. So I took his reference, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't rotoscope it because, you know, you're talking about a, a chameleon and a human being. You can't really rotoscope that type of thing. But I really got inspired by his performance. So I said, yeah, it's pure Johnny. <laughs> so so when I looked around and I saw people's reaction, I was like, oh, no, no, that's not. I meant, I meant Johnny Depp. So now they kind of followed me here because some of the some of the people that still work at ILM in San Francisco kind of told some of the production people here at, in Vancouver. That's funny. So it's funny when it's pure Johnny to it. <laughs> Let me ask you this too, because it seems like even though there's lots of animators, it still seems like it's a very, very small community. You know, here you're talking about you're in ILM uh, Vancouver there, and you know that's followed you. You've worked multiple times with David and you know uh, Matt and, and Rick and stuff here. So it just seems like it's still a bit of a small community in that regards. It is. I mean, working in Montreal, it's hard not to know anybody. You've always you 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 definitely know people that have either you've actually worked together with mm-hmm. or people that really close uh, coming to Vancouver this there's three or four animators that have worked for together at San Francisco so they kind of made the move here to Vancouver some people because this is their hometown and some people just thought that it was a good opportunity to set up shop um, but yeah I mean it really is a small community this is not a community that you want to either plagiarize work or you know kind of call some shots of your own when they're not really your shot like this is a very tight community. Mm. It's not a type of c- community that you can kind of screw around with. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. It's, uh, it, and it's an awesome community. Seriously, there's not one person that I've met that has a huge ego or doesn't, you know, have the best interest of, of working as a team or, you know, just wants to make the best movie possible together. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's just really, it really is an unbelievable community. I love it. I love it. I love the people. Very cool. 
All right. I know we can't talk a ton about Jurassic Park because it's not out yet. Um, but let's kind of transition a little bit to that. You know, you teach here at iAnimate in our Creatures program, and this is obviously a very huge movie, like David was talking about earlier, just even the original. I mean, I can't tell you how many times we've heard that from instructors or other animators or, or guests here, where it was like the first Jurassic Park was one of the movies that really kind of just goes, this is what I want to do. How was it for you jumping on a movie like this here, where it has such that... Uh, staple in animation. Okay, so not because I want to say that I'm the biggest fan uh, ever of Jurassic Park, but just to tell you how much this project actually means to me is that I left my my wife and my two-and-a-half-year-old son back in Montreal so that I can come and work on this project. Okay. Um, and, and Johnny is Italian. Usually they don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Usually we don't go too far away from my mama. Um, I've been with my wife for 15 years, so we've dated for a long time. So she I, actually we met uh, while she was at Dawson, but um, she's not in the industry, but, I mean, she knew – uh, she knew me when I went to the first, like to my to to the school that David and I uh, went to. So she she knew what uh, what really inspired me right from the beginning. She knew that Jurassic Park was always my film. You know, some people it was Toy Story, right. you know, the first Toy Story or whatever. She knew that Jurassic Park was very close to my heart. Mm-hmm. So when I left ILM the second time, uh, when I left ILM uh, after Rango, because I came home. I went back to Montreal because, uh, you know, I decided to make my home in Montreal with my wife. We got married, whatever. That's why I left. Um, and I and I told, you know, the HR person, I said, look, if there's ever a Jurassic Park 4, just know that I'll be interested. And believe it or not, she actually emailed me, you know, <laughs> not long ago because she said, and, you know, this, this HR lady, uh, Lori Beck, she is just, she's really unbelievable. Um so, you know, when I discussed it with my, with my wife, I said, look, there's a chance I can work with on Jurassic Park 4, on Jurassic World. And at the time, my son was only like a year and a half. So I was like, look, I'm only going to go if I get your blessing. You know, it, it's tough already to be by yourself and to be by yourself with, you know, one and a half year old is not easy. Mm-hmm. So we kind of went back and forth and I can't go. I, I You know, it might not be worth it. I bought a house, so we have, we have a mortgage and, you know, family doesn't get in the way, but family becomes your priority. Mm-hmm. Coming here and working on a dream project, sometimes dreams don't actually pay. Like your dreams don't actually pay your mortgage. I thought I was going to come here and not, you know, I have to pay rent and all that. So it was a really, it was... It was a huge decision for me to come here. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I got extended now, so I was supposed to finish February 27th, and that's uh, almost a month from now. So I got extended for another month after that. So I come back home March 22nd. And even then, my wife was like, look, you're working on a dream project. You're doing what you love. And there's not many people in life that can actually say that they actually got to work on a childhood dream project. I mean, sure. it's, it, it's unbelievable. Yeah. So then coming here opening up a scene of an iconic dinosaur. <laughs> it's just, uh, I, you know, when I got my first turnover, when you sit in a, in a room and I got to see the, a couple of the people, you know, through Skype and when they gave me my, my first turnover, which, you know, means like you're getting your first shot, your first couple of shots. I just couldn't believe that he was seeing the dinosaurs that I was hearing. You know, it's like, yeah, you're getting to work on this dinosaur and you're getting to work. On. So actually my first shot was the shot that's in the trailer, which is the pteranodons that are kind of, over the horizon. So there's about a hundred 
and 10 birds in there, 110 pteranodons. Um, so yeah, that was my first, uh, that was my actual, actually, that was my first shot on, on the film. I was like, okay, uh, I'll do pteranodons because every, we're three studios that are working on this. So there's Image Engine, uh, San Francisco ILM and Vancouver ILM. I think there's also some work being done in uh, Singapore ILM. So every, every studio kind of gets their own sequences. So I already knew what kind of sequences I was going to be working on uh, a couple of weeks before I got here. So mm. Now, what is it about creatures that you, or maybe even this particular types of creatures that you were looking so forward to jumping into? So it wasn't actually the thought of animating a creature. It was the, it was the thought of animating a dinosaur. Okay. I mean, I've done all, all my career has been on, you know, bipeds was either Assassin's Creed or in-game animation or, so the only project that I was kind of doing a little bit of creature stuff was when I was at Eidos, we were kind of working on something. We were kind of doing some test stuff. So that's really the only time I got to work with creatures. And when David kind of told me, look, uh, would you like to teach the creature class? It was a little bit, I was like, you know what? I haven't really done a lot of, a whole lot of creature stuff. I mean, I kind of done some work at home and downloaded some rings and kind of played around with it. But to actually teach a class was a different type of, uh, of, uh, you know, beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Pun intended. laughs> um, but you know, I, I was like, you know what, if I'm going to have to learn the best way to learn is to actually teach it myself and help teach it to other people. Yeah. So he gave me an outline, thankfully. And, uh, I did all my own research and, uh, you know, some people helped me out with, you know, look at, look at this, uh, look at these references and this is what to look for. And there was Daryl Purdy also that had already started teaching the creature class. So he helped, uh, you know, how to set up my class and all that. So I can't say that I learned on my own, but I was, I was helped a lot. What's great about that too, is that obviously, like you mentioned, you've been animating for quite some time. So it wasn't like you were new to animation, but there is that, I guess I want to say that freshness, so to speak, in regards to making that transition to creatures where to me, it would seem like help a lot of the students then make that transition because it's not, you're not so far into it where you're like, you can kind of maybe forget on some of those uh, hurdles, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, some students kind of look at your reel and say, wow, this guy's worked on Rango and he's worked on Transformers and he's worked on Assassins. He's got to be good. Like, you know, I don't want people to be disappointed coming into class and saying, well, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. So I was, I was really prepared. And to be completely honest, and I know this might sound cliche, but I learned as much as my students did because it's, it's helped me on Jurassic World immensely, like breaking down how a creature actually moves rather than just looking at reference mm-hmm. and saying, well, he's moving because this is the movement he's doing. No, but to actually break it down and say, you know what? The scalpula of a creature moves this way because he doesn't have a clavicle and scalpula is only attacked because by muscles, you know, it makes a difference in how you approach an animation. You think, okay, well, there's not a whole lot of limitation that you can do with the scalpula because it's only held together by tendons and, and muscles. It's not like a human being where there's a, a limited amount of range that we can do. Um, so there was, there was a lot of things that I had to go beyond just looking at something and reproducing it on screen right? Uh, or in a Miocene. I had to really break it down and understand completely why does a creature move this way? Why do his foot patterns make a difference when he's doing an amble, a gallop, a run cycle? So it helped me so, so much. 
Well, that's why it's been so important to have our instructors work in the industry because that's what you guys are bringing to the table when you start to teach. So yeah, that's just invaluable. Yeah, absolutely. And now, you know, it's my fourth semester teaching and I tell my students, look, if you think that there's a better explanation or maybe you notice something different and maybe, you know, the way a, a panther moves his hips or the way he should buckle his, his, his hawk or, you know, whatever the, the case may be, please don't hold it back. Let me know. Say, look, Johnny, I think I noticed this part of a creature doing something different just because I observe it or maybe, I don't know, a veterinarian or, you know, you, you never know. There's always people smarter than you or have more information than you do. So it's very important to, you know, transfer that knowledge to other people. That's so funny because I've been watching Jason's demos. He does one every Friday or now Saturday mornings for all of our students. And he always is the same thing. Hey guys, let me know what you think. Because he, he says we can be blind to our own work. And here is a guy who's been working in the industry for 20 years, you know? And so, no, that's, that's great. And I think it just kind of goes back to what you had mentioned beforehand about not having that ego and being able to take criticism. Oh yeah. I, I mean, absolutely. If you go in knowing that you might make mistakes or that somebody might have better information than you do or whatever the case may be, um, it'll take you much, much further in your career than, than just thinking that you know everything. It's true that it's something that you see a lot of people that are working in this industry, the no ego thing. It's good for when you're in production. It's, it's a good thing to have when you're in an instructorate. Um, but I, I believe it, it most probably comes from the fact that, you know, our field of expertise animation is really at the crossroad of uh, art and technology. And on one side, we're artists, so we deal with subjective, which means that no one is really 100% right. And on the other side, we're like scientists using technology <laughs> on the other side. Yeah. And we're always wanting to push the boundaries and making our own research and we're doubt, <laughs> we doubt ourselves. And so it's a very interesting combination, which just make us always be open to other ideas and criticism and, you know, anything that's going to make us and the people uh, around us as well, whether it's our students or our colleague, uh, progress, we're always open to push the bar. And wherever the the information is coming from, wherever that uh, this good new idea is coming from, if it makes sense, good, all right, you know what, you're right, let's move forward with that. So it's definitely something that we need to... Um, we want to, sh sh this mentality has to be shared with the students so they can carry on as they're moving to the industry as well and, you know, give to the others. Yeah, I mean, even like I knew I was going to be working on Jurassic World two months before I started. So, you know, I asked the HR representative, I was like, look, who are my leads going to be? And can I contact Glenn McIntosh? And so he's our animation, animation supervisor. So she's like, yeah, abs you know, absolutely. Because I wanted to ask him, look, what kind of reference should I be looking for? I mean... I've never worked on a dinosaur. Uh, there's no many dinosaurs, obviously. I mean, the only stuff that we have are the three Jurassic Park movies and King Kong, right? When King Kong is fighting those three T-Rexes in the jungle. Other than that, there's not a whole lot of really good material being shot. So you got to look back at nature and see, okay, what, what are raptors like? What are pterodactyls like? How does a T-Rex move? Because he work, he really moves on only two legs, right? And he's, He's horizontal, so he's like a standing lizard. But a lizard doesn't have, you know, he doesn't weigh a few tons. So, you know, you got to mix. Okay, well, look at a bear because he's got, you know, a lot of weight. Or look at this type of bird because he's got the same type of uh, toe orientation that maybe a raptor has. So when he lifts his feet, it's more like a chicken. So his, his toes kind of come together. And then as he's planting, they're going to 
spread out. There's all these things that you got to look at and, um, you know, you're kind of becoming like a mad scientist where you're kind of putting a whole, whole, you know, you're putting like different animals into one just to try to sell, first of all, weight. You're trying to be as accurate as possible. You know, you know, we're not dinosaur researchers or anything, but in, in a sense, after you're done, you kind of think that you've done the best type of dinosaur animation that has been there before us. So <laughs> now, that's actually a good question or point here. Because it's been a while since the, the other Jurassic Parks here. How much did you lean upon those other movies or how much did you go, okay, look, that was the best we could do at that time. Let's see how much more information we have. How, how did that work in regards to crafting the animations for the creatures? Yeah, actually, yeah, it's a good question. So when I got hired, I was still at work. So I watched all, all the Jurassic Parks again. Okay, I wanted to see, okay, is there anything I can get inspired from? You know, and still, out of still watching all three, you still look back at the first one, and there's some shots that you actually are still convinced that is that a maquette or is that actual <laughs> CJ CG? It's crazy. Like, uh-huh. you know, they only did like 54 or 58 CG shots in that film. Mm. Okay, I mean that's what we're doing in like two weeks here. You know what I mean? It's, it's you can't even compare. <laughs> but you know, you kind of look back and you say, wow, that's they actually sold a lot of that weight on that T-Rex when he's stepping on the, the, the flip Jeep, you know, when he steps down. And then you th- think of some other points, some other things that they kind of put in when he kind of bites on the tire and he kind of, he bites on it, he hesitates, goes back and then, and then chomps on the, on the, on the tire again. It's like, where do they get all this, in, the, this inspiration from? You know, that's a very animalistic type of behavior that he did. He didn't, it didn't look like acting. It just looked like, he was playing with, with a tire on that, on that Jeep. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second and third one, obviously the Raptors really started getting a little bit better, especially in animation. Um, you know, you kind of look at some of the fight stuff between the Spinosaurus and the T-Rex in the, in the third one. So there was a few things that I kind of picked upon. And again, what I really came back to was how, how to solve the weight. Okay. I think that's the, that's what I was trying to really, a grasp was, you know, I've never worked with huge characters like that. So it's not a fact of just animating in real time and then slowing down your curves. That's not, that's not how you sell weight. You know, <laughs> you don't put everything in slow motion. That's not the way it works. Um, there's a lot more that goes into something like that. Um, and then what I really, I, I, I can't even tell you how many times, how many times I've seen this clip, but it's the clip of King Kong fighting those three T-Rexes. Mm-hmm. This is beautiful. It's really something that he's fighting those those three T Rexes and the the interaction and the choreography is just uh, it's it's really really solid. So I, I watch that clip very very often. Yes, yeah, so some of what you mentioned, Johnny, just reminded uh, when we were working on, on the crudes and we obviously had you know creature that were just you know over the top and we're like okay how is this even moving where do i even start so just the process of okay i'm gonna take a little bit of this animal here and a little bit of Uh this one there i'm gonna mix all this together and i'm gonna try to film some reference of myself just for having some personality in there and exactly as you said you kind of become a little bit of a mad scientist and this is when i really fell in love with creature animation because you know character animation even when it's uh, cartoony uh you know there's some expectation of how things should be moving yeah uh, when you go to creature 
there's no expectation whatsoever. So you can, it's just pure imagination. And then obviously you need to know the basics. So exactly what is Johnny is teaching is in his workshop. Uh, how is this skeleton and all this, this flesh and bone is working together? But once you have the proper rules and you can just throw a lot of, you know, imagination at it, it's when, when it becomes super creative and we're even sometimes laughing during dailies because we're just doing stuff that were so unexpected. They were like, wow. But yeah, this is really a moment that I said, wow, okay, I just discovered something here with Creature Animation. I love it. That's cool. Yeah, I, I'm also filming my own reference. So it's something I never thought I was going to do for like creatures. Okay. So like, you know, sometimes it's just to get your own choreography or kind of get a feeling of like where I should put my hands or, you know, my feet or how do my hips stomp a foot or something or other. Like, there's always pick up from any type of reference. So, uh, so yeah, it's a good point about filming yourself because I think that really, really helps. And I mean, that's the thing I try to uh, talk a lot about with it, with uh, my class. I mean, a lot of what I teach is um, not so much animation. I mean, I do do a lot of demos and, and, and whatnot, but it's how to observe how a creature moves. You know, it's easy to just put a dog on an image plane in Maya and rotoscope. Anybody can do that. It's a very different thing to actually understand what's going on. So I think that's what I try to teach a lot of my students. It's say, well, look, he's turning this way, so he's going to be, you know, if he turns right, then he's going to use his left paw to plant first. You got to pick some of these things up where maybe a student wouldn't actually pick up on some of those yeah. things if nobody actually tells them. You yeah. Know? So it's just a lot of the power of observation and how important that is to apply into your animation. I think that's that's what uh, what I'm really trying to teach, especially in my class. That's great. Because then, like you said here, once you get those solid foundations in that, regardless of whatever creature you, you've got, you've got the foundations there, and then you can kind of run with it based upon how uh, fantasy it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right. David, you got any other questions? Just a quick one. You mentioned that you're building your workshop, uh, help you to, uh, at some point to, in your work at ILM on Jurassic Park right now. Do you think that any of the work that you're doing right now on Jurassic Park is going to go back and fuel back, uh, your, uh, workshop? Is there anything that you're going to bring from your current experience, uh, to the workshop? Yeah, absolutely. I think with the amount of, um, Pteranodon work that I've that I've done, I can probably teach the flight class. <laughs> um, um, I mean, that's another creature I never really worked on. Actually, we did a little bit of, of bird stuff on Legend of Secret Pass, but Oof. you know, wings are that's a, you know, again, no, no pun intended, but that's a totally different creature. Is you know, is uh, flight and uh, the physics of how wings uh, affect the body and vice versa. So that's another thing I had to almost start all over again with animation. And again, like, you know, like Larry pointed out, it's kind of a fresh eye on, on animation and you kind of get, you know, the butterflies in your stomach all over again. So it kind of keeps it alive. But going back to the question, yeah, absolutely. I think selling weight is probably something that I can probably help with the students. I, we have a weight class, so it's selling how much weight a creature actually has. You know, I think it's a really important part of, of what I'm trying to do at, at work. And I think it's going to be something that I can actually teach and feel confident that, you know, I can actually pull it off. And uh, did your workflow change in any, any way since you, you got to ILM or you're pretty much? Uh, Oof, that's actually a great question. Um, hmm. So the first shot I had, the one with, with the Pteranodons, 
luckily there was cycles already done for like they already did, did cycles so right there that was a bit more of a technical shot of putting those creatures on paths and just kind of editing some of the uh, work that was already done in the cycle so you know making them glide and and having them bank and having them turn and whatnot so you know that's a different type of shot um on some of the other shots um so some of them i kind of go straight ahead uh, which i'm usually used to i'm more of a straight ahead type of animator where i kind of get you know down and dirty really really quickly i don't even put you know main poses or anything i just kind of let my ideas just kind of flow naturally into into the scene and then there's another scene where it's just poses like just trying to get a pretty good foundation just because it was a little bit more choreography involved and i think i needed my supervisors and the director kind of buy off on some of my work before i i proceeded so you know depending on the shot how much the director kind of told me about the scene like if it was super clear and say look this is what happens and and i would kind of go straight ahead knowing that i wouldn't have too many corrections if i kind of did something different whereas if you have a shot where it's like look you can be a little bit more creative but just know that it might change or the shot before you might change or the shot after you might change because you don't always get a sequence of shots so that's where you kind of pull back a little bit and block it out I'm not a stepped type of guy so I won't put my keys ever in stepped I like to see it in spline um but I will just put like you know keys let's say if I have a 100 100 frame shot then I probably put about 10 10 different poses so you know a, a pose every 10 frames just to kind of block it out and understand you know what the scene is going to be like so I I actually change the way I work depending on what type of shot that I'm uh, I'm getting so I didn't really change my aspect of working here um one thing I I mean not because Dave is here and because he's he was my boss before but you know the fact that he he kind of told us at one point look you know at Dreamworks what, what we learned was that 25% of your work should be observing so if that means going out and shooting reference shooting reference of yourself uh looking at clips on online just to get an idea of what type of action you want to pull off from real life and uh, you know integrate it into your scene and that kind of stuck with me like i know i i can't say i'm doing exactly 25% of reference and then 75% of actual work in a in a in a maya scene percentage definitely rose uh since i heard that piece of uh, piece of advice i think um you know you kind of get a lot of advice throughout your career and i think that's probably the advice that worked for me here at Jurassic World the best because you know going into it like i said there's no there's no dinosaur reference uh nobody's ever seen these creatures move before it's really up to us to sell you know their movement just based on our own observation of other clips and you know what's been done before or again like like i said in nature that's yeah that's the role uh, i can learn the the hardware uh you know uh anxious to start my shot that as soon as i had a shot yes, i would start yes. it right away and i would finish even two days before the deadline and it would be approved but no one would care because it was you know it it it, it was good but there was nothing there was no magic in the shot so that that's why i say okay 25% of the time that you're allowed uh, on a shot is time for preparation. So if you have one week, take one day. If you have one month, take one entire week and just figure out 
why is your shot going to be interesting and how is it going to be original and different than what we, we, we see every day. And it's actually a, a rule that, that I uh, kind of applied uh, after that and that is working really well if you want to produce uh, animation to a, a certain level of quality that people will actually remember and that you will be able to touch people either by making them laugh or by, I think, any kind of reaction. That's that. That's the amount of time that usually you need to prepare yourself and and try many options that will not work until you get something that okay, I'm confident in this idea. Now I move forward and I put my first keys in Maya. That's cool. Yeah, if you go if you go absolutely raw with no no reference, then you're less confident in your shot, mm-hmm. and it and it really shows. And if if you do have reference, like you know, there was an example where I had reference of something and I animated to the reference. And, you know, somebody said, well, I don't think he would do that. And then that's your opportunity to say, well, look, I did my research. This is the way, well, just as an example, this is the way his foot would lift off the ground or whatever. And here's the reference to kind of sell that idea. Do you think that this is a good clip? And then, you know, the person's going to say, oh, okay, I didn't realize that that would actually work. And I think if you do it that way, then I think it might sell the idea much better. So I think you're a little bit more confident in your ideas and you're able to convince other people that it might be a good idea. So that's one of the parts where it kind of helped me be a little bit more vocal and stand up for some of my ideas a little bit more. Okay. I'm going to do some rapid-fire questions at you here before we close out. Okay, sure. These are just fun ones, all right? Okay. Okay. A um, couple of your favorite movies. So Jurassic Park okay. and Shawshank Redemption. All right. Um, you said you didn't play much video games, so no any favorites? Yeah, actually, Red Dead Redemption. Okay. I love that game. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite villains? Uh, Joker. Mm-hmm. And um, Tyrannosaurus Rex. Favorite heroes? Uh, it's got to be Superman. Very cool. First of all, Pure Johnny, we do appreciate <laughs> the time um, that you spent with us. This has been a fun podcast. I just, I was telling David, I've just, one of the things I wanted to do from the get go on these podcasts is just to keep it very casual and fun. And this has been one of those ones there. So really just appreciate your time on this. Yeah, this is a lot more fun than I thought it was going to be because I'm, <laughs> I'm not the most, you know, most fluent speaker and, <laughs> and cause I heard some of the other podcasts and you kind of told the, you know, not to swear. So I really, I really tried to hold back. I thought it was pretty good. I didn't swear. I don't even think I swore once. So I that's, no. you know, I swore a lot in my class. So if any of the students actually <laughs> I swear tremendous and in different languages too. So I don't just keep it in English. There's like French swear words and Italian, and I, you know, <laughs> bilingual there, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you know, I think it actually helps some of the students get a little bit looser because you know, some of the students, they kind of get into a class and they're like a little, little hesitant. They're not sure they might get intimidated, but I think if you start showing them that you're a human being yourself, I think then they start loosening it up. So, yeah, I swear a whole lot. <laughs> so if any of you students are out there and you might want to take my class and you love swear words, I'm your guy. <laughs> That's one of the things I've absolutely appreciated taking the classes that I animate, which is the casual feel of it along with the education. It, it, it was a great learning environment for that. So I do appreciate you bringing that to the table as well. So. 
Oh yeah, it's gotta be fun. If you know, this is animation. I mean, at the end of the day, we get to do some really cool stuff. If the majority of the people actually knew what we do, because some people still, like my parents still think I draw on my computer. <laughs> <laughs> if they actually thought of like how much fun our jobs are, I think more people would do it. Well, again, we thank you very much, Johnny, for the time and really do appreciate it. And we look forward to checking out the movie. So keep up the great work. Yeah, thank you guys so much. This is awesome. All right. Thanks, Johnny.